From the Sunshine State, this is Tampa Bay's Tan Talk. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com.
I come into the pits, I'm in first place. I go out, I'm in third with two laps to go. All right, first of all, don't get excited. All right, you're in third place. That's a pretty respectful position. Now, what you do is this. When they slow down and if it turn four, you just keep your foot on the gas and drive right by them on the outside. Harry, you told me nobody goes to the outside on turn four. Well, now I'm telling you different. If you go to the outside, you can hold. He's going to end up in the wall. All right, Colt. Pace cars are about ready to duck on off. We don't have a whole lot of time to talk about this. Well, tell me how. It's because we got a real good set of matched tires on them. What? What? Those tires are matched, perfect, and staggered spectrum. You're going to get him killed. The pace cars are about ready to duck on off. If you go to the outside, you can hold it. All right, Harry, when it comes to the car, I take your word. The white flag is out. One lap to go. The boy don't have the balls to pass me on the outside. And they're heading into treacherous turn four. Cole Trickle wins his first ever NASCAR victory. And now... Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! <laughs> no doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Farner, the founding member of Grand Funk Railroad, and I'm listening to Nostalgic Radio in Cars, where they'll knock you alive. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see me live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater as I'm trying to follow my mic around here. Anyway, don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, go to NostalgicRadioandCars.com. Right, Bobby? Did I say that right, or did I say GolfStreamMotorsports? I mean... Well, NostalgicRadioandCars.com if you want to find out about the radio show Gulfstream Motorsports, if you want to do some business. Yeah, if you want to find out, if you want to buy some uh, classic car parts, some motorcycle parts, uh, a classic car, too, or we have a, yeah. Yeah, and I've got to thank the uh, world's greatest pillow salesman, Bill, and, uh, of course, for bringing in uh, George Chambers and thank him for the coffee that I am enjoying right now. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, hey, wait a minute. Let's That's thank good. our f- good friends down there at Pyology for the pizza they provided. Yeah, or true. We, we, we <laughs> actually went and got, but, you know, yeah, Pyology. Yeah. I mean, for 10 bucks, you can't beat that. That's uh, You just load yeah. that bed boy up the way you want, and it's a mighty, mighty, mighty delicious pizza. Down there, was that Seminole Mall, something like that, or what do they call it? Yes, place? it is. It's, uh, I think they're changing it to Seminole Town Center. But okay, actually. something like that. Everything's a town center these days. Anyway, uh, yeah, we had a uh, pretty busy weekend this weekend. Um, I love spur of the moment stuff because spur of the moment kind of catches you off guard but puts you on your toes. That's radio. That's radio spur of the moment. Yeah, radio spur of the moment. It's radio. It's spontaneous. It's spontaneity. But at any rate, so uh, I get a call from a friend of mine. He says, "Hey, Robert, there's uh, an event down in is it San Armand's Key? No, San Armand. San Armand Circle. San Armand Circle. That's it." 
There's an event taking place down there tomorrow, and I'd like you to go work it for me. And uh, I said, uh, okay. And he rattled the name off, but it didn't occur to me what it was, uh, not until I got there. So anyway, uh, he loaned me his uh, beautiful, stunning Porsche Panamera. Now, this is uh, our good friends over at Fastlane Travel. Now, Fastlane Travel's been around for a long time. They've been around since 1975. 1980 and 81, I went over to Germany with them because they're the ones that are basically sanctioned. I don't want to say sanctioned, but endorsed by PCA, which is Porsche Club of America. And uh, they put on these tours back then, um, private tours, private trips for corporate um, uh, groups, basically. But they also, for car enthusiasts, had uh, special tours to the Porsche factory. And then you got to see Germany and Austria, in some cases Switzerland, uh, Italy. France, Holland, you know, we went all over the place. But at any rate, so I went over there in 80. had such a good time, I had to go back the following year. Now, my, dis- my, my, my big claim to fame is, I think it might have been probably 81. 81, we, and 79, or 80, 80 and 81, you could go, back then, you could go to the Weissach <laughs> Research Center. Okay, that's where, our, that's where all the secret stuff's done. Now, keep in mind, Porsche doesn't just design and develop and build some of the finest cars on the planet. They also do... Stuff for other manufacturers or research centers, the Weissach Research Center, okay? And um, Entwicklungszentrum, as we say in German. Entwicklungszentrum, Weissach. And uh, so, but they also have a test track pad there. So they just, they have government contracts, they do all kinds of stuff. They actually built and designed the original prototype for the Evo motor for Harley Davidson and the V Rod, okay, which was basically a Porsche on two wheels. So at any rate, I hold the distinction of getting lucky to um, draw straws, and I can't remember whether I cheated or not, but I thought it was important to me, so you know how the game goes. But anyway, the straw that I drew, I either had a choice of riding in the 935 race car, which 935 Porsches were like the dominant race car back in the day in, in sports and GT racing, IMSA, here in the United States, particularly Daytona and uh, Sebring, and, uh, or I got to ride in a safari car. Well, couldn't pass up the 935. I wasn't quite sure. I couldn't remember exactly at the time when I'm, we were, because, you know, it's, it's kind of crowded there, and there was probably about a group of uh, about 25 or 30 of us. So it was my turn to ride. Now, I thought it was interesting, is everybody got out of the 935, they actually had some people standing there to catch them because the car was so fast and the turns are so tight and the G-forces are so strong that it's very easy for your equilibrium to diminish once you've been, you made a pass around the track. So when people were getting out of the car, they were actually taking two or three steps back, in some cases almost falling over. So there was always somebody there to catch them. So anyway, I, I jumped in the car, buckled up, looked over, and it was none other than Hans Hermann. And he's probably the finest Porsche team race car driver since the 50s, 60s, 70s, I think maybe even in the early 80s. And uh, so that was pretty spectacular. It was, that was you know just one of those uh, moments that you just you know cherish through the rest of your life. Pretty impressive. But anyway, so... He asked me to go t- to uh, Sarasota and down to St. Armand Circle and cover the Porsches in the park. Now, the thing about St. Armand Circle is they do Mustangs, they do Ferraris, they do exotic cars, they do all kinds of events at St. Armand Circle, which is really, really nice. A lot of nice restaurants and stuff down there and stores and stuff. So there's always something for the family to do, you know. And, um, and the guys obviously do the car thing. So I was there for that. And that was a lot of fun, and I was basically um, doing some PR work for Fastlane Travel and their up-and-coming tours. They're doing one uh, coming up this spring. It's called the Flamingo Luxury Rally, 
And basically the way their tours are structured is these are all done where you pay one fee. It's not cheap, but, you know, you work hard, you deserve it. You know, take care of yourself. Treat yourself, so to speak. Tours are basically five-star hotels. The only thing you do is basically just show up. Your luggage is taken care of. Your food's taken care of. All your drinks are taken care of. All your tips are taken care of. All your fuel's taken care of. And on the rallies, basically all you do is show up with your own car. Now, when they do the tours in Europe, the cars are rented. So um, if there's 10 or 15 couples, there's usually 10 or 15 Porsches. And um, But right now, because of all this other stuff going on with you know this COVID thing, there's not a lot of activity going on in Germany right at the moment. So Fastlane Travel is focusing on tours here in the United States. So they're doing the up-and-coming Flamingo Tour, which is basically Florida and going to South Florida, going to Sebring, taking some of the back roads, staying in some of the finest hotels. Now, keep in mind, some of these hotels are 500 to to $1,000 a night. So pretty high-end stuff. And the food, exquisite. And, um, and then they went up, I think, up in Jacksonville, and then I think ultimately up in... Uh, or excuse me, St. Augustine, and then ultimately maybe even as far as Amelia Island, I'm not sure. But at any rate, so that's coming up. So check out FastLaneTravel.com, and you can find out more about some of their upcoming tours. And like I said, they're doing stuff in Colorado. They're doing stuff in the Carolinas. They're doing stuff in New England. And I think they may be doing some stuff in California. So these tours are kind of neat. And the thing about these tours are is it's not just a tour, and you go on and you have, you know, uh, kind of a your, your casual trip. These are memorable trips. I mean, these are exciting places, exciting things to do, and the people. There's just, you know, you, you, it's, it's like the people that I went to Germany with in 1980, I'm still friends with them. So you, you build relationships. It's pretty, pretty cool. So definitely check out FastLaneTravel.com. On that note, Bobby's going to fire up the stereo, and I'll be back, back and I'll I talk am. about some of the other stuff that I did this weekend because <laughs> we had a pretty exciting weekend today. So it was fun, Phil. But Porsches in the Park was a lot of fun. Yeah, I know I'm partial to Porsches, but I like Shelby's, and I like all kinds of cars. I mean, Jaguars. I like Mercedes. I like Camaros. I like, uh, you know, Mopars. But anyway, hey, you're tuning in. How about a little uh, Grand Funk Railroad, courtesy of our good friend there, Mark Farner, and... Uh, we're an American band. You're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Dar- uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back.
Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Get her done. Oh, good job. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so we're back. So, as I was on my way down to uh, the Porsche in the park, big shout-out to my friends over at, at, at iBell Porsche to uh, 573-727-573-0911. They've always tweaked on my 911s. It goes way back to when Frank was around, and Frank would do that. But the new guys over there... Um, Turt and John, big kudos to those guys because they've straightened out some of my later model 911s. I've got a 83911 for sale, Targa. It's on Facebook. We've got a 85928 for sale. we got a 784 BMW for sale. These are project cars, but the 911 is a nice car. A couple Mustang project cars, convertible, so we got a bunch of stuff. So check out the website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, and you can see some of that stuff. Because I run the gamut. I mean, I deal in vintage classic car parts. I do appraisals. I do pre-purchase inspections. I do diminished values. And speaking of diminished values, a car that I had to do here recently was a 2018 Hellcat. But this one wasn't just an ordinary Hellcat. That thing's a 1,000 horsepower. So um, and there's a company right here in town that moved down from Kentucky. I think the name's Forza. Forza. Anyway, so they did they did some tweaking on this car, but this guy was involved in an accident. Somebody hit him in the rear, spun him around, he creamed a telephone pole. And uh, so I'm doing a DV, uh, possibly a total loss on that one. So we're doing a report on that. Anyway, so uh, my trek continued and wound up down in Palm Beach because this weekend we had the Palm Beach Concourse. Now, if you recall last week on our show, we had Sidney Vallon on our show. He's the uh, founder of the Palm Beach, Palm Beach Concourse, which was at Banyan K Country Club. And I might admit, I might add that it was a very, very nice venue. Um, week before last, we had, uh, or was it last weekend, we had the Gasparilla. In fact, there was a couple of people that were at the Gasparilla that I met at the Gasparilla Concourse that were also down here at the at the uh, Palm Beach Concourse. But it was very nicely done, and it's got legs. You know, the thing I liked about um, Sydney's show is, or his event was that that he had a he had to split up. He had supercars over here, McLarens, GTs, uh, Ferraris, um, Lamborghinis, all kinds of really cool stuff, exotics um, over on one side, and then he had the classics and antiques. I mean, there was just some stunning array of cars. A car that I thought was really interesting, and I. Was, sent a picture to my good friend Chris at Lincoln Land. It was a 69 Lincoln Continental. My mom had one of those back in the day. Beautiful car. Um, there was uh, a stunning early 60s Ferrari 250 GTE, which at the time in the early 60s was a four-passenger, four-seat, two-plus-two, basically, Ferrari, which was a nice car. But Enzo Ferrari himself actually drove one of those. In spite of the fact that he said... In 1961, when he was at the Geneva Auto Show, when he saw the E-Type Jaguar, he said, that is the most beautiful car on the planet, the most beautiful car ever made. And consequently, if you looked at the designs of the 250 GTO and some of the cars that came after those cars in the, in the mid-60s, um, they kind of took some cues from the Jaguar E-Type Roadster, which was still to this day a, a remarkable car. And, it, and, it, and, it, and the Jaguar is an exciting car. We've had one of those before, too. They're pretty cool. But the Palm Beach Concourse was was a pretty amazing event. I was really, really, really impressed with that. Um, I liked the layout. It was in front of a nice little country club. It was rather intimate. I like these smaller venues. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Amelia, which is still by far my favorite. I love Pebble Beach. 
auctions of, or uh, 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 concourse to the Americas up in Detroit, but it was St. John's when I was up there. And those are great. Those are excellent. But down here, these smaller ones are actually kind of taking hold. And what's really cool and what I liked about uh, Sydney's is the fact that because of the, 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 the diversity of the cars, it actually, and he's a young guy too, kind of appeals to a, broad, to a younger crowd. And that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to get these younger people involved in the hobby. And one way to do that is all, all these young guys love these supercars, okay? But if the classics happen to be there, they'll wander over there and they'll start taking interest in it. Like, you, like Wayne Carini was on our show last week, and we were talking about um, some, some of the cars. Okay, so a lot of us grew up with cars of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But now some of us are starting to take interest in these older pre-war cars, like I am. I'm taking an interest in Coors and Duesenbergs and, and Auburns and, and vintage uh, classics, you know, what we call full classics uh, of the golden era of cars, which would be the late 20s and the 30s, and in some cases early 40s, pre-war cars, basically, pre-WW2 cars. But anyway, on that note, I think uh, that kind of sums it up. It was a great show. Palm Beach Concourse is... Spectacular. It needs to be on your list. Porsches in the Park, obviously. And then uh, there's another show, which is called, it's a British car event, um, Cars Across the Pond. That's a big one that they have in Jupiter, Florida, and that's in the spring. So we'll be talking about that, too. Anyway, in the meantime, I think Bobby's going to fire up the stereo, and we're going to get ready for our special guest for the evening. Your tune-ins and nostalgic radio and cars. Do not touch that dial. Matter of fact, go find some friends and tune in. Agent Denham, that is a 1963 Ferrari 250 GT Lusso, owned and raced by the coolest cat who ever lived, Steve McQueen. This was his baby, and now it's my baby. You got Steve McQueen's car parked in your living room? And here I thought you were an ass. I paid a million for it 10 years ago. I wouldn't sell it for 10 times that. We're 65 stories up. How do we get out of here? You don't. This car was taken apart piece by piece and reassembled inside this room. Well, this car will eventually be sold at auction with the rest of your belongings. Only if I'm guilty, Agent Denham, which I'm not. This is McKeel Haggerty, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. So get out there and keep driving all those cool cars. 
Okay, we're back, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. Uh, this gentleman is the founder and the CEO of MotorEnclave.com. Actually, Motor Enclave is a very, very unique facility that's being built here in Tampa in our own backyards, and it entails a stunning racetrack, but not only a stunning racetrack, uh, it's kind of like a country club for car guys, for serious car guys. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Brad Olashansky. Brad, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Robert? Pretty good. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the Enclave? Actually, you know what? Why don't we circle back a few years, and let's uh, let's start with your beginnings. You're basically, what I, and I was reading your bio, you're an entertainment attorney. I was an entertainment attorney, and I've... Uh... Then I became an entrepreneur in the healthcare marketing space, and I really wanted to do something with my passion for cars, and I built M1 Concourse in Detroit, and now the Motor Enclave in Tampa and a few other cities. Interesting. Okay, so take us through uh, how this whole thing came about with you. I mean, you're kind of like your evolution. You know, the, the entertainment industry is kind of interesting because, you know, and are obviously an attorney for them, so you represent uh, people in the entertainment world. But your passion for cars, now, are you originally from Detroit? I am from Detroit. I grew up in a car family with a father who's a hot rodder, building classic cars and hot rods in our garage as a kid and got addicted to that passion and ended up in a different career uh, in a different world for many years and then wanted to get back to my true love of cars and put pieces together to create this model, which hadn't been done in the way I do it. Many people build private racetracks. Many people build garage condo communities. No one's really brought the two together and then focus on it being an event platform and a community versus storage. Now, the M1 Concourse, they just had a major event here uh, a couple months back. And how long ago did you build the M1 Concourse? Now, that's in Pontiac, Michigan, right? Correct. Uh, when I first started this vision, I was fortunate to uh, purchase a 87-acre former General Motors factory property out of the General Motors bankruptcy and turned into an uh, M1 concourse, which had a 1.5-mile racetrack and 250 private garages and a corporate event space. And uh, I did that in, I think I started that in 2012 or 13. We opened in 2016, I think. Um, so we've been open for five or six years there. And, yeah, it became a huge phenomenon. I mean, the crazy thing is everyone said I was, nuts and it wouldn't work and no one would buy these things and who's going to come there and it's Pontiac, Michigan and it's kind of a depressed area but we really became a catalyst for Pontiac's resurgence and speaking of the events you mentioned I mean we my full vision came to life when the Detroit Auto Show moved from Detroit after 107 years to Pontiac uh, in August this year um, to, to M1 Concourse well now that was pretty amazing and uh so when you originally bought the GM property, was there a test track there or anything like that, or did everything have to be leveled and you start from scratch? Everything had already been leveled. What I ended up inheriting uh, was two, uh, 87 acres of concrete and asphalt because they leveled a 2 million square foot factory and left the foundations in place. So oh. we move the foundation. Some of them were 10, 12 feet thick of concrete and steel. And... Uh, yeah, it was quite the job. It was five months of crushing concrete before we could do anything. 
when you crushed all the concrete, I mean, you know, when, when you go through the process, obviously cr- con- crushed concrete has a value, so you probably got a little money out of that, but then by the time you factor in, you know, the, the, the labor intensity and everything like that, I'm not sure how that worked out, but how long did the planning process take, and, and, and was it something that you just, like, sat down one afternoon, and you got out a piece of paper, and you started penciling this thing around? Did you, did you talk to some friends? Did you have some input? I mean, how did the, take us through the process a little bit. Yeah, so first of all, on the concrete, we actually recycled 100% of it on, on site and used it underneath the track in the building. So while it cost a fortune to pulverize it and, you know, remove the, the seal and stuff, we didn't have to truck in any materials. So it was basically a wash in terms of the overall cost. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it took, so I had the idea for years in general, and then I did a lot of research around the world looking at different projects and really trying to identify what is a way to do this project where it can actually come up for-profit entity versus most of these places which are wealthy guys' dreams of building the greatest racetrack or the greatest garage community or whatever, and then they are unable to make it successful on an ongoing basis because they just don't. But one is most of them are poorly located, uh, you know, two hours outside of cities, and really they positioned as storage. So you're not really building a community if you don't program the lifestyle. That's our big differentiator is not only did we bring together the garages with the track, and now we have a 100-acre off-road track and off-road experience in Tampa, but our our sort of way we do things is we program the lifestyle. We have constant events and activities and philanthropy and projects and trips and road rallies and driving activities and keep people engaged and give them a reason to come there and really hang out with their their neighbors and friends. So when you looked at other venues, now you know you mentioned that some of them were hours away. There's one in Las Vegas that's north of there that's got a couple tracks on it, and that's outside of Las Vegas quite a ways. There's another one is a Monticello up there in uh, is it New York or New England, someplace yeah. in there. There's so yeah, I mean there's Monticello a few hours from Manhattan. There's Autobahn and Joliet, Illinois, an hour from Chicago. There's Spring Mountain in Vegas, which is not in the best you know sort of convenient location. There's thermal in Palm Springs in the middle of the desert. There's, you know, lots of places, and they're not – they're amazing facilities, and they attract a racing crowd because racing fanatics are willing to spend the day or the weekend there and drive and mobilize their equipment. But my audience – or my premise was how do I get people something in their backyard so they use it at lunch, use it after work, use it on the weekend, and really become part of a community. And that's why M1 took off – you know, most of our customers live within 20, 30 minutes, and that's why we sold 250-plus garages. In Tampa, same thing. We're, most of our customers are coming from Tampa Bay, but we're actually getting customers from as far away as Naples and Miami because and, there's, there's nothing else like this in Florida. But, you know, most of our customers are coming from within 20, 30 minutes because they want to use it as an extension of their lifestyle, you know, to be able to enjoy their garages and the track and the community. So why did you pick Tampa? I mean, you've got a because it's century located, century century centrally located um, in the state of Florida. I mean, you have Orlando, which is another area. You know, that area is pretty centrally located. You've got a huge car culture down in South Florida. Um, probably, you know, the Revs Institute is down there by Naples and Collier County. But you came here. Tell us why you came to Tampa. So I had zero connection to Tampa. Never been to Tampa my whole life, and uh, I'm a very data-driven guy and try to take the learnings from M1 and some other projects and really created some 
personas of the people that bought garages in Michigan and tried to figure out what are the cities where this would be most viable. I mean, hard enough to find land, number one. Obviously, I like the year-round weather aspect of Florida, but really when I did the research, it, Florida revealed itself as a target, but also Tampa in particular, as opposed to Miami or Palm Beach or places people think this would be viable. I mean, certainly there's probably opportunity in those cities, but my customers are true enthusiasts, not just people that have fancy cars, and there's a big difference. So let's say, for example, and, and, and I'll play devil's advocate here a little bit with you. So, for example, you look at PBI, Palm Beach International Raceway. Now, that is out in the middle of nowhere, and there's already an established track, both drag racing and road racing. Would it make sense to buy an existing track? That's in, and, and the reason I bring this up is because there's racetracks around the country that has just been sitting idle. And then some of them have actually been revitalized. Some of them been, have been destroyed. Like VRI was brought back to life. It's idle for, for who knows how long. They brought it back to life. So does it make economic sense to start from scratch and build exactly what you want or take an existing track facility and then build it better, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I looked closely at that, and I've continued to look at that in many other places, and people continue to reach out to me with existing facilities. Uh, one is most of them are poorly located. Uh, two is many of them are just so run down and not even worth buying. You know, and also you know the type of facilities they are. You know, my 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 facilities while they have full blown racetracks, we don't do any racing. The sanctioned racing business is not a business that I think is viable for my type of audience. I'm attracting general enthusiasts who want to you know use their car in a safe and controlled environment. They don't want to race each other. Um, they don't want to damage their car. They don't want to be with a bunch of, you know, a free-for-all with a bunch of people who they don't know. Um, so it's just a different model, more of a private club model. We also do a ton of public events and driving schools and, and corporate events and other activations. But, you know, those other facilities generally are just not well-located or they're just so run down. And, I mean, PBIR has had numerous owners and no one's been able to make it work and they actually just sold their closing because they're becoming a distribution market. center or something. Yeah, so they're going to be gone. We're already, we've already got several other members that join our track because there's just you know nothing else like this in Florida. There's a phenomenal facility in Miami, the Concord Club, a good friend of mine, and you know, that's a pure racing club, very high-end, spectacular track, and most of my customers wouldn't want that because that's you know, my customers have never been on track before, most of them. They just want to take their Mustang, their Ferrari, their Porsche, their whatever they got, and they want to turn laps in a safe environment. They're not looking to be race car drivers. We definitely have a percentage of people that have tracked before that have race cars or track cars and are more sophisticated, but I'd say 80% of my audience are amateurs, most of whom have only been on track maybe once or twice, and most many never. So it's more about the garage and the hanging out in the community and having an office or man cave or entertainment space. For family and friends. Okay, so now tell us about the track. Is the track um, apparently this track was, from what I read, is designed by a professional race car driver that's known for building race tracks, right? Yes. Um, based on the success of Michigan, and you know, when I started the project in Michigan, I couldn't afford to hire you know the, the number one track designer in the world. I hired a phenomenal track designer there, but I wanted to work with Herman Tilke, uh, and Tilke is the number one track design in the world. They designed 20-plus F1 tracks, including Circuit of America. Yep, Coda. In Austin. Um, 
they only have three tracks in the U.S. And it's like having Jack Nicklaus's name on your golf course. Complete overkill for what we're doing here because we're not a sanctioned racetrack, but I want a safe, exciting, well-designed track. So, you know, we hired the best, and our track is going to be spectacular. It is a full-blown racetrack. Are we going for FIA certification? No. Um, it's a 1.6-mile track, so, it's, you know, I would say it's a medium-sized track compared to most tracks. We could do races. We could do, you know, all kinds of different events. Again, it's just not the business we're in, and, um, you know, the result is we've got a phenomenal track that's going to be fun to drive, but also a very safe and controlled environment. Um, Waterford Hills comes to mind. I'm sure you're familiar with that area up there because that's just on the other side of Pontiac, Michigan. And I was up there a number of years ago, and what I thought was interesting about it, and it kind of it's basically, you know, kind of like a country club for guys that like to shoot guns, but guys that like to race cars. So, but it's small, it's old, and it's old school. So this here that you built is basically that type of a concept, which is what M1 evolved into, kind of like on some serious steroids. So if I walk into your door and I, I read about the Enclave and I say, hmm, this sounds kind of interesting. So I, I go over there and I say, uh, Mr. Uh, Olashansky, could you uh, explain to me and sell me why I need to be a member here? How would the pitch, how would the pitch go? How would it how would it start out and 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 what would what, what tell me about what what I can expect? Yeah, so I mean, Waterford Hills is a good example. Although they're just an old school racetrack, been around forever. They're on dirt road. They're run down. I mean, literally the bathroom you wouldn't want to step foot into. The <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, many of my customers in Michigan that did drive before, race before, have been on that track many many times. Um, my mine is more like the Four Seasons in St. Regis of motorsports communities. Again, we brought together lots of different components that no one had brought together. There's lots of car condo projects. There's lots of private race facilities. Very few have them together in a convenient location. Um, but the big thing is people joining in my community because one is our the real estate they're buying, these garages, is very high-end construction. We don't build pole barns. We don't build cheap structures like many other developers do. Um, so very high-end. We're, we're using tilt wall, concrete, hurricane-rated buildings. Uh, we we do overkill on everything we you know everything including 100 amp three phase power per unit sprinklers and uh, firewalls and six inch concrete slabs and all kinds of things, um, and then it's the you know community and programming like I talked about that we program or we help you know facilitate the lifestyle and, and most of my customers once they understand what we're doing it's, it's about the privacy you know you can't come to the enclave you can't become a member unless you own a garage so the entry point. Okay, very good. Around quarter million dollars for the white box space before they built it out. So let's just say a minimum build out to hundred grand. It's, it's, the lowest entry point into the project is three hundred fifty thousand dollars. So once you get that much investment, and the average investor is spending five or six hundred grand in their garage, you know you're going to get a clientele who's very engaged and very respectful and want to be on track and do other things in a way that. Is not like many facilities where people show up with, you know, their beater car and don't care if they crash into each other. Um, you know, and also what we do is we fill up, you know, we've got the garages, we've got the club, which is only open to garage owners. We have some public activations, but our big business is corporate entertainment. So that's a big key differentiator. We design the facility and some of the features around corporate entertainment, you know, board meetings, off-site team building, charity galas, 
any kind of corporate event from 50 to 3,000 people. And that, that means the track has got constant activity. Even if I'm in a garage as a garage owner, the club members only drive in on average a total of eight hours a week, and most people drive very a lot less than that. But when they're in their garage looking out the window, there's always something going on. It might be a team building in the morning. It might be a car company in the afternoon. It might be a TV shoot. It might be thrill rides for a giant company picnic. That's what makes our place unique is that there's constant activity. So, all right, so like, for example, uh, my good friend over there at uh, Allegra Motorsports, I know he's got a number of units over there with you. So if he wants to have a test and tune day, does he have, can you, if, if I'm an individual owner, can I rent the track or have access to the track by myself for my own testing and tuning because I actually have a race car team? Um, or, or, I'm, or do I have to say, uh, or is there going to be other people that are going to have access to the track the same time I do? How does that work? Yeah, so the Motorsports Club, which is open to our garage owners, which right. most of them join, they get a designated bank of hours every week, and those are during defined times where they can show up to get. So we give eight to ten hours a week, certain times every day, and then those people can sign up or show up. You know, might be ten people, might be thirty guys show up. Okay, and we and we put them on track of fifteen minute run groups based on their proficiency in their vehicle. Club members can also rent the track by the hour outside of those times to do exactly what you described. They want to test and tune. They want to do a parade lap. They want to get take out their 1932 whatever and drive it so it's a safe environment, they can do that. Non-garage owners, if you're not a garage owner or a club member, you have to rent the track by the day. And we have plenty of people do that, but you know the benefit of being a garage owner is exactly that. If you just want to go, you, know, you can go out in a club session with a bunch of other members, or you can rent the track by the hour and do whatever you want on your own, or you can have a private party in your garage and we have a fleet of cars and we'll pull the cars up to your garage and give your guests a thrill ride. And there's just so much, so many unique ways to use the, the track surfaces. Okay. So now what else, what do you have for safety uh, measures in place? For, so for example, I mean, let's say somebody goes out there and let's say there's an unfortunate mishap. Somebody just gets out of shape and they lose it in a turn and they have a little accident out there. Are there safety teams out there? Are there, is it, and do you have access to the track 24 uh, seven? Is it limited strictly during daylight hours? How does that all work? Yeah. Well, number one, we, we only run the track during the day. Okay. It's not lit, not lit. And we don't want to run it at night. Um, we have full-time safety. Every session we do is ambulance and fire and safety workers. We don't cut any corners. Um, we have very sophisticated uh, digital flags and cameras throughout the track and the control center so we can warn cars. You know, we, we know exactly what cars are going off track and we can alert other drivers. We're working with some pretty sophisticated technology that will also be able to tell if a car literally has a tire off track and we can inform the drivers through digital signs and potentially in their cars with devices. So everything we do is really next level, and it's because of who our clientele are. Um, like I said earlier, they want to be in a safe, controlled environment. They're not looking to win a race. And we have no timing loop. We have no competitive You know, People may have their own apps or devices in their cars for keeping track of their lap times, but we don't have a timing loop. We don't have a, a leaderboard. We don't, we're not doing races. So it just provides a much safer environment. We're very strict. We don't let a bunch of, you know, it's not a free-for-all. That's the thing we hear the most is this is very different than other tracks. I feel very comfortable here. I feel very safe. 
that's my goal at all times. So, for example, let's say I go out there. Um, am I required if I have my my Porsche GT3, or I've got my AC427 Vintage Cobra? Am I required to wear uh, safety equipment? In other words, do I have to have a, a, a three-layer racing suit on, a helmet, uh, safety equipment in my vehicle, or can I just hop in my car and go buzz around the track? Yeah, so you have, we have a strict helmet policy. Uh, we don't require, depending on the vehicle, we don't require driving suits or, or three-point harnesses or on devices. It's really up to the individual driver because of the way we control our sessions. If someone's got an open-wheel car, they have to generally have to suit up. Um, you know, we don't mix open-wheel, closed-wheel cars. We don't have, you know, I don't have to put people on track with crazy high-powered cars, low-powered cars. Um, we're just very strategic about how we do things, and it's not, I guess, like I said, not a free-for-all, and it's very safe. But and the beauty is most of our customers can arrive and drive. We do lunch laps, you know, two to three days a week. Literally come from the office. Roll up in your Porsche GP3 or your 350 Mustang or whatever, your Miata. You know, literally take your suit jacket off, hop in, put your helmet on, turn 15 minutes left, and go back. We did the exact same thing in Michigan at M1, and it was a huge hit. And many of our customers love the fact that their stuff is already there. They can either roll up in their car or have it in their garage, and they don't have to mobilize and take a trailer. And they can do two laps and go back to the office, and that's it. You know, the, the challenge with most guys that want to go on track is you got to drive an hour or two to go somewhere at the whole day event. And this could be a 15-minute, 20-minute thing, and you're back to work. If I buy one of those units and I spend a quarter of a million dollars, am I required to do any more than what you provide me? I mean, in other words, a build-out's my option, right? Or do I, am I under obligation to build it out at least to a minimum specification? No, nope. You're buying a white box, an upgraded white box, we call it, and you can literally just put cars in there and have it a workshop. You can also put a you know, golf simulator and a bowling alley and a movie theater like some owners have done and go crazy, but we don't control what you do. Other than having a permit and being the code, we don't care what you do inside your unit. It's your space. We have a whole system of suppliers that can help you build it out, but you can do it on your own if you got the resources, or you can use a mixture. Are you, um, are you going to have um, newsletters, anything like that? So let's say, for example, uh, General Motors or Porsche or Ferrari, somebody wants to come down and let's just say rent your track and do some testing and toning themselves, you know, by a manufacturer or something like that. Is there a way for if let's say a car local car enthusiast from the public is can he come in and spectate or is it pretty much just a closed party type thing? Yeah, I mean if it's a corporate if it's a corporate event rental, pretty much closed unless GM or Porsche or whoever. You know, we've had every car manufacturer rent the track in Michigan. We expect the same thing here in Tampa. Most of those events are customer consumer ride and drive, so they will invite members of the public probably from their marketing database. Oftentimes, we get them to invite our garage owners because they're a great target audience for those companies. Um, and then other times, it's public. You know, sometimes there's a. You know, we do we do cars and coffee, and we do uh, you know Fourth of July fireworks and and uh, car shows and other auctions and swap meets. So we have numerous events throughout the year where the general public is invited. But it all depends on who the client is renting the track. Most of the time, it's private use for the invited guests only. Not not open to the public. Come spectate at a ride and drive. Okay. Now tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, your background, what's your background as far as cars? Have you done some club racing and some sports car racing? I know you're into low riders, so you need to tell us a little bit about that. We've got a few minutes left. I mean, I grew up uh, working on uh, hot rods. Okay. Into that, and then uh, I got into the Japanese tuner world with Supras. I've had a bunch of Supras. 
And I had a passion living in LA for 12 years for the for a low ride low rider culture. Uh-huh. Always wanted to have one, and once I built them one, I bought when I bought the property in Pontiac, I bought a '51 Pontiac low rider from a guy in LA, and I subsequently bought a '64 Impala and a few other cars, and I just love the the intense passion and the customization and the technology now around you know sort of airbags and hydraulics and a bunch of crazy stuff when you pull to people's house especially a guy like me pulls up <laughs> driveway bounce the car's driveway and turn the lights on underneath the car people and look at the fur interior they're like well, what is this all about why do you have it? and that's the exact response i like um because they're not what they expect of me but you know i've got a very diverse taste i've had modern cars old cars 50s cars you know, um, so I'm all over the place, and it's not. Uh, I mean, I've, I, 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 people look at my garage and go, "What's the theme here?" Um, and the theme is I just, you know, things I like and things I wanted. You know, I, my dream was to have a Miami Vice Testarossa. I spent years trying to make enough money to get it, and now I've got my white on white '89 Testarossa that doesn't get driven much, but it's a piece of art, and I love looking at it. It's a good investment. Um, as it relates to track, you know, the funny thing is I'm not a huge track guy. <laughs> I've got plenty of track time at M1, but I've never been to another track other than driving schools, like at, you know, Skip Barber or Bondurant, those kind of things. But I never trailered my car to go race. I've never been involved in any race series, and it's just not my thing. I love love getting on track and turning a few laps, but I'm not the kind of guy that's going to be out there every day and doing what most of my customers do. I'd rather be in my garage tinker with my cars or, you know, hang out in the garage and, and the, with the neighbors and the community and just socializing. Well, I have to ask you this because we have to ask everybody this because this is the standard question. What was your first car? My first car was a 1986 and a half Toyota Supra twin turbo Targa top. Really? That's actually a rare car. I wish I still had it. I'm always looking for it because it, it was silver with a burgundy velour interior. And you see them periodically, but the mileage is so high, and they're all beat down. But, yeah, I was very fortunate. My, because my dad's a car guy, uh, he thought that car out when it was brand new and actually bought it from the floor of the Phoenix Auto Show and drove it back to Detroit. And it was like a crazy car for a 16-year-old. My grandmother was very generous and bought her grandkids' cars. Huh. And I had that car, which was like a spaceship at the time, and I, people used to say to me, how's your dad's car? I can't believe your dad let you drive his car. Um, I actually had that car for... 10 years uh, and drove it across the country numerous times and actually had it in college, had it in law school and uh, should have kept it but uh, traded in for a new car once I had my first job making uh, some money. Well Brad, we are up against the clock so if people want to find out about the uh, more about the Motor Enclave, how do they go about doing it? Uh, check out our social feeds on Facebook and Instagram at the Motor Enclave and also www.themotorenclave.com for complete details. Super. Now, when can we expect the first venue out there? When's the, the, the grand opening ceremonies? Yeah, we broke ground last, last week. It's four years it took of development, which is crazy, and that's part of the secret of my success. Is I'm, my friends say I like brain damage, and it's a very tough process to get to where we are. Um, but we broke ground last week. We'll be open about a year from now. Um, probably a, a month sooner, so sometime around November of 2022. And uh, there'll be plenty of publicity and, and information. Uh, so feel, feel free to sign up on our website 
and we'll keep you posted of what's going on. Super. We'll have you back then. Brad, thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. The best of luck with your uh, your endeavor over there and the uh, Motor Enclave. Look forward to hanging out there myself with you guys. So uh, take care and thank you very much. And have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a good New Year. You too. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Happy Holidays. Very good. Thank my special guests, Frask, excuse me, Brad Oldershansky, uh, Motor Enclave. Wow, that looks, that's exciting. Here in Tampa, in our backyard. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Go to NostalgicRadio.com. I want to see you guys at some of these cars, some of these events. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Bring on news to the other side. Bring on new WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen. The